This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willer for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Oh, so what do we see when we open the gates? We have Phil on mute. Phil, Phil, you're still on mute. Wow, imagine that. Sorry, I mic checked and then I must have left myself on <laughs> <That's> mute. <right. laughs> Sorry. Um, let's get back to the game. Um, uh-huh. So you uh, you open the castle gates and you see um, like the whole entire castle guard, right? Like, I mean, dozens of soldiers, full battle gear, lined up like ready for you. Like no surprise whatsoever. So, so they notice us? Yeah. Yeah, you used bomb blast to blow the doors off the hinges. Like they, there's no surprise on their faces. They are ready for you. All right, let's get in there then. Do you want the right side, the left side, or the middle, Jerry? I, w- I want them all. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I mean, that's it, it's a lot of guys. Yeah, we've been waiting for this. Back me up. I charge in. I draw my sword and we go in side by side. All right. All right. Uh, roll two d six plus chutzpah. Uh, you each need at least a 16 or higher if you're going to survive this encounter. Damn it. I got a 13. Spend your big points and re-roll. Uh, an 11. Really? Let's <laughs> another. Roll again. All right, fine. Nine. No. I got three vig left, so eight. Ooh, no. 11. Damn it. 16. There we go. Awesome. Okay. That used up all your resources. Now Jerry's turn. I've been waiting for this. I've been a part of these for three sessions. I've been milking my flaws for more. Whew, that's um, that's a that's a lot of vig tokens you got. How many? How many you have? Twenty-two vig tokens. Time to roll some dice and uh, re-roll some dice. Oh boy, uh, this encounter is not going to go the way I planned. Nope. And with that, welcome to the four hundred thirty-second episode of the Misdirected Mark podcast. Tonight we talk about game economies and resources, how to use them, when to use them, and how to make them work in your games. Along the way, we'll take comments, suggestions, examples from the chat room for life before heading into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. And I am Old Man Logan. All right, kids. It's Tuesday night. We're back. Welcome to the party. Thank you for hanging out with us. As per usual, we're going to do a quick check to make sure everybody's feeling okay before we head into the house. So, Phil, how you feeling? Uh, physically fine. Um no uh no complaints physically mentally um i'm okay i'm better i think than i was maybe last week um yeah. there's still just a lot going on a lot of stuff going on managing some anxieties um things like that but i probably less uh less depressed than i were than i was last week um yeah. i did read a good article today about something called languishing that you know if you know we may all just be languishing which is kind of the you know in the doldrums of not really thriving, but yeah. also not really depressed either. If you think of it, um, share that out later. You have to go off to track it yeah. back down and find it. I think it passed me some sometime today in Twitter. I'll go, I'll go look. Cool. Uh, how about you? How about you? I am uh, physically, um, my allergies decided to take it back up a notch. I don't know why. Everything seemed like it was nice and leveling out and, and mellow two days ago and then yesterday it started to ramp up a little bit today the runny nose and the sneezing and i'm like what really like i like i don't get it so i'm like a little annoyed by that but otherwise 
feeling pretty good uh, mentally. Um, same, feeling pretty good. No, no major complaints. Um, obviously, things are still a little, little wild, <laughs> um, a little out of uh, out of whack from what we were used to, and uh, it'll take some time to get uh, to get into whatever we call normal later. So, uh, but yeah, feeling feeling pretty good. Jerry, uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, mentally, I'm, I'm I'm mostly okay. Um, I got sick to my stomach Sunday night. And um, it just threw me for a loop, and then so I didn't get much sleep, and I was okay, but I've been a little bit queasy. So today I'm I'm much better, um, but just been not quite the same quality of sleep. Last night was okay, and then I drove for basically five hours today. So yeah. I'm feeling okay, but just a little bit tired. I was good this morning, but it kind of kicked in this afternoon. <laughs> um, and road food isn't always the best for that. Yeah. So, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm doing okay. Just if I totally look a little green, that's not that's nothing more than just you know that'll pass. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm doing good mentally. I'm okay. But yeah, the allergies have kicked in with the weather patterns that we've got coming in. I have sinus allergies, so whatever the weather changes. Uh, I'm good if it's hot. I'm good if it's cold. I'm good if it's sunny. I'm good if it's rainy. On the days that it goes back and forth, that's when I just, my entire hmm. like sinus system goes higgledy-piggledy and I'll be sneezing, yeah. sniffling. Uh, I'll break out. It's all sorts of stuff. So it's yeah. fun. But no, I'm doing better and uh, looking forward to a good show. Awesome. All right. I did, by the way. Uh, I just retweeted out that um, that article. So awesome! Look for look for it in my look for it in my feed later. Fabuloso! All right, cool. That means we can jump into the one thing, and I will lead us off with the Marvel folks dropped the first teaser for Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and I was giddy watching that. After yeah. after arguably, I still enjoyed both seasons of of Iron Fist, even though the first season was way substandard from what it should have been. But this character, Shang-Chi, is the other preeminent martial arts character, arguably the more prominent one in the Marvel Universe. And the fight sequences in the teaser are hands down already way above and beyond anything that Iron <laughs> Fist showed us. And it's exciting, like, oh, this is going to be some wild, fun stuff that we're going to get. I'm so looking forward to this. And yeah. it just, it looks like it's going to be a really good time. So, I, I, yeah. The trailer was excellent. Um, it, it, the, I mean, to see Marvel do a Wuxia film um, yeah. is going to be amazing at yeah. Marvel, you know, with Marvel special effects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aquafina as uh shang chi's friend is great like she was the bus the little bus scene they showed yep yes she was fantastic and i don't know if you noticed this because i picked this up on tiktok did you see the little easter egg on the bus scene um i may have i'm drawing a blank though okay there's a there's a moment where right after shang chi like double kicks two guys to the side and he lands and aquafina says to him she's like who are you right Mm -hmm. mm-hmm There's a guy sitting on the bus. He's got a, a he's got curly hair and like a and a bushy beard. He is the street vendor in Spider-Man Homecoming who yells out to Spider-Man when he's going through the neighborhood to do a flip. Oh man. Oh, that's, cool. that's pretty obscure. <laughs> Some some, I gotta watch some, uh, it again now. some people on TikTok found it and, and showed the two clips, and it is absolutely the guy from 
Um, Spider-Man Homecoming. I love it. That's Everything's awesome. connected, baby. That, that is what we want to see. You know, keep doing shit like that. Yep. That's what we want to yep. see. Exactly. Yeah. That's that. That's yeah. That's some. That's that's seriously some. That's uh, I don't know if you know the term rivet counter, but that's the uh, name for yeah. the um, Titanic fanatics, the rivet okay. counters, uh, okay. because they count like literally every rivet on the hull. That is that, like that. That reference, that Easter egg, is some. That's like some rivet nice. counter territory. Yeah. That that okay, that was cool. a very exciting teaser. It wasn't even a full trailer, um, but I mean. Yeah. I also like that. I think we're going to get the real Mandarin. Oh, it's confirmed. Oh, yeah. It's the, yeah. We get, yeah. We're getting the real Mandarin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little sad when they, um, I'm a, I was a little sad in the Iron Man series when they teased the 10 rings in the first one and then you see the Mandarin and I was kind of excited. And then none of the rings showed up. Yep. And then yeah. it wasn't really the Mandarin at all. Anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's I, enough I'm about my one thing. about it. What about you, Jerry? What do you got? I started watching Invincible this week, which is on, uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. It's 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 uh, a cartoon by the guy who did uh, The Walking Dead, and it is four-color comic superheroes um, with dark and gritty. I mean, it's it's brutal. It's violent. It's basically about a kid who finds out that who, who knows that his father is the most powerful superhero on the planet, and you find out very early on that, that the most powerful superhero on the planet has a dark side. So, I mean, basically, what if Superman went really bad? Uh, and he doesn't know his dad is going bad. And he's trying to, so it's him trying to deal with his powers. You've got some pastiches of like uh, the Justice League and the Teen Titans and um, Luke Cage and a bunch of other characters. Um, and it's it's just well done. I mean, if you want to see really good superhero on superhero or superhero on supervillain action. It's all over the place. Um, lots of great tropes and everything. And it's also dark. If you, if you like your dark and gritty, uh, it's kind of what I imagine DC wants to do with their dark and gritty universe, but they keep making it dark instead of, they keep making it literally dark as opposed to just dark storylines, but it's four color comics. Most of the action takes place in the sunlight with people wearing, you know, spandex sprayed on and stuff like that um and also just some very creative characters with interesting powers and abilities uh, which i always like to see where they do something kind of fun and clever with that so it's a fun show it's not for everybody it's very violent it's very bloody um you will see you will see heroes and villains get their head crushed till their eyes pop out that kind of stuff so it's 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 not for for that but it's it's got a lot of fun and yeah it's not going to be for everybody you've got to enjoy the dark and gritty mm-hmm. um but it's also a really well done superhero show. I mean, it's 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 fun. So that's me. Cool, Phil. Uh, yeah, I um I got to see my therapist for the first time face to face in a year. Yeah, I've uh I've been doing telehealth for you know for a year since the pandemic hit, and um, after I had cleared my vaccination plus two weeks, I emailed my therapist and I was like, I don't know, like, are you taking like you know people in person kind of thing? And she's like. I am on a limited basis and I, you know, and your, you know, the time you already have booked, we could do in person if you want to do in person. So uh, we did, we did. I, um, I, you know, I resisted the urge to hug my therapist. Um, I mean, I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a human being that I'm not related to in person since I think the last time I saw you guys in October. Yeah. Yeah. 
right? So like it was, uh, you know, it was different. It was different. Um, it was different talking to somebody uh, in person. Yep. Uh, we still did masks, you know, we, we did masks, mm-hmm. but, um, but, and we were, you know, we sat apart and it was actually, I mean, I, I actually felt pretty safe. There was a, um, there was a window between the two of us that was open. There was an air purifier on, we both wore our masks and, you know, I'm pretty sure we were both vaccinated. I, I did not ask her her vaccination status. I am vaccinated. So um, it was nice. And I got to be honest, my house does not have the thickest walls. So therapy in my house this last year has been tricky because um, you can't always say everything Yeah. Um, (laughs) because, you know, it carries through the walls and there's teenagers milling about and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really nice to go have a session where I could just say what I wanted to say. Um, And it definitely helped my mood. Like it was definitely nice to have been in that session. Um, I think my next session for May is also scheduled to be uh um to be in person so kind of excited for that as well so my normal treat of getting myself a uh an iced coffee and then going there uh, i was a little hampered by the mask so i think i'm just going to treat myself to an iced coffee uh after on the way home get myself a coffee kind of thing anyway that's me um, I'll jump really quickly through announcements. Uh, no, uh, no announcements other than the Voyager watch party continues. Um, this week we finish off season three. We're crossing into season four. I'll be honest. This is the last time, um, you really could jump in without having to do, well, you'll have to do catch up if you never watched Voyager before, but if you were looking for a good jump in point, um, the season three, um, cliffhanger season four opener, um, is a perfect time to get into the last um, half of the series. Um, there's some big changes that happen in in that um, in those episodes, the first couple season four episodes um, that kind of shape the rest of mm-hmm. um, shape the rest of the series. So this would be the time to get in. Uh, beyond that, uh, you would just be playing Eternal Catch Up with us, which you're welcome to do if you're yeah, a Voyager absolutely. fan and just want to kind of sit in and watch yep. some episodes. Yep. Um, that's it. That's it. I don't have anything else. Um, we can roll right into, uh, our feature segment. And we're doing another workshop. Do, 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 yay. All right. You ready, Phil? Yes. Workshop, workshop. We're talking about economies. We're talking about giving points, getting points, using points, getting more points. Keep them flowing. Keep them moving because that's what makes an economy work in the workshop. Don't suck. Don't suck. <laughs> All right. Tonight we're going to talk about game economies, but not money since we covered this a few episodes ago in uh, episode 429. The economies we want to talk about are player currencies like Fate Point and Fate, Hero Points and Barbarians Lemuria, Force Points in Genesis Star Wars, and Bennies in Savage Worlds. And there are other games that have similar things. This is a topic we've been kicking around that's been on my mind when I started playing Chris's Dresden game. In the past, I've had challenges with hoarding currencies like Bennies and Fate Points. But as we've been playing Dresden, I've been coming to understand the importance of using those Fate Points instead of just hoarding them all the time. So tonight, we're going to talk about how to keep economies working at the table. In a very pandas way, we're going to look at it from both the GMing side and the player side. Uh, yeah, yeah. And if any of this sounds familiar... Uh, that would be a sign that you are a long-time listener uh, because we addressed uh, some of this back in October of 2019 uh, in episode 379 when we talked about economies and currencies. But in that episode, we did it as a garage episode where we looked at the mechanics of how they work. Tonight, we're... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Bob's going to take it from there. (laughs) Yeah. So tonight, we're going to look at how to make it work at the table 
And of course, to get that started, we got to have some definitions from Definition Panda. So, behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, uh, for sake of efficiency, I'm going to steal some of the definitions that we used um, in 429. I'm going to breeze through them quickly since if you've been listening to the last couple episodes, they should be pretty fresh. Uh, so first of all, currency, right? Circulation as a medium of exchange. Um, it's something that um, currency is something that we um, acquire and spend. Um, for this show, we're going to focus on player-based currencies, Right. These are things that players earn and spend during the course of the game. Uh, and Jerry named off a whole bunch of these. Right. So uh, things like fate points, bennies, force points, all of those things. Um, these points from a mechanical perspective. And again, this harkens back to 379. These points often grant some sort of mechanical and or narrative benefit to the spender. Right. The Benny allows a reroll. The Benny allows you to soak damage. Um Fate points do, um, you know, similar things with rerolls and plus twos and things like that. Um, and uh, what what they ultimately are used for these uh, player based currencies is they steer the game away from being totally random, right? So, like, if you know, if we imagine a game like a, if we imagine a Savage Worlds game without Bennies, um, that game is a that game would be a bit out there. Like, you would be just at the mercy of of the dice and dice exploding and whatever and no way to kind of uh re-roll anything or soak okay. damage like the game would be a very different game those that in that player-based currency allows you to exert some influence on the mechanics and the narrative of the game okay. right it, it takes it out, out from being totally random to being a thing where um you can look and say i wish to alter this role um, in my favor, I will spend this limited currency to do so. Okay, uh, next term we want to talk about is economy, a system especially of interaction and exchange. Um, if currency is the thing you get uh, or spend, economy is the cycle of getting and spending those things. And the key word here being cycle, uh, which means that there's a flow of points moving about the game table. Uh, each game will have an ideal plate, uh, ideal pace for how the points flow. Uh, and good designers actually tell you that uh, in the game, like players should be acquiring about this many fate points in a session. Um, you know, you should compel aspects this many times. You should, um, uh, which uh, players should spend about, you know, like should have about this many bennies, that kind of thing. Right. Um, without understanding that you really won't know. And we'll talk about this in a moment. You really won't know what shape your economy is in. Um, and to that point, a healthy economy is an economy of points that matches the pace that's in line with the designer's intent. Right. So if I'm, if I'm compelling the correct number of aspects and players are spending um, the intended amount of points, you know, within a, you know, within a few scenes, within a session or whatever, then our economy is healthy. A non-healthy economy is one that is either underclocked, that's going slower than expected, um, or overclocked, uh, in that uh, we're cycling through, you know, we're cycling through currency faster than expected. Uh, and depending on the game you're playing, um, having a slower flow of points or a faster flow of points will have consequences on the play of the game. Absolutely. 
So with that understanding, Jerry, can we describe an economy using, say, fate as an example? All right. Let's do a little crack course of economies. Um, in fate, the currency is the fate point. And fate points are going to have several uses during the game. Um, they're going to allow you to add plus two to a roll. They're going to allow you to re-roll all the dice. They're going to allow you to establish something in the narrative. And you can also buy off a compel that comes into the game. So the character is going to start the game with a certain number of fate, fate points. And that's going to be equal to whatever their excuse me, refresh stat is. And then during the game, they're going to spend points to achieve things based on how they're used. Uh, however, uh, they're also used or they're also earned whenever you have an aspect that's compelled used to making something more complicated. Um, they can also earn fate points when conceding to a conflict. And so the cycle that the players are going to be spending fate points beyond throughout play, making roles or defining things in the narrative, and then they gain those points when their aspects make life more complicated. Um, and that's pretty much how they go. You, you spend them to, to make things better, and you get them whenever you make your life more complicated or give something up. Cool. So, so Phil, extending this fate example, why are healthy economies important? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, the, the simplest is, right, it's design intent, right? The, the designer had, you know, through the design of the game, the designer had in mind um, this economy and, you know, how uh, it should get spent, right? So um, in, in the case of fate points, right, there's a fate point economy, um, right, that, that kind of covers this whole thing of how you gain them and spend them during the game. Um, and, you know, the designer's intention is that that's a thing that should happen all through the game. Uh, like there should be this continuous thing where players are spending their fate points and then also getting compelled, you know, to get more fate points. Otherwise, um, otherwise, if, you know, if it wasn't the designer's intent, there'd be a fixed number of fate points per session and that would be it. Yeah. Um, which would be a totally valid design, right? Like that's a totally valid design to say like, okay, you have X number of points to change the, you know, the, the outcome of the game, but you only get this many in the course of a game, right? Like that's a totally legitimate thing, but the economy, right? The design of the economy is designed so that the compel, which is to make things more interesting um, is a constant thing that keeps happening that, you know, and again, this is designer intent, right? That your trouble aspect or, you know, some of your other aspects uh, will, you know, will get you in trouble in scenes like, you know, uh, can't keep my big mouth shut you know, is uh, is a trouble aspect that is designed to cause problems in social situations. Mm-hmm. And by giving, by allowing the GM to compel it, um, the GM can make the game more interesting, right? That And that's, and, and interesting is fun thing, not punitive, right? Like, yes. this is a differentiation in the book, right? The, the goal is to make things more interesting. Uh, but in doing so, the player gets additional currency, to uh, to also push the boundaries of the game in places they want. Um, okay, so then the first you know the first part of the reason why this is important is because it was designed that way, and that's totally valid. All right, um, the second thing is um, the game needs points to be spent right in order to meet the expectations of the game, meaning that um, and and I saw Schmidt mention this in the chat room just a second ago. Um, if a game has an economy. The expectation is points get spent during the course of the game. Um, and this is, you know, to avoid, you know, um, we'll talk about hoarding it a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But consider in fate that the average die, the average die roll for normal people is plus zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are me, the average die roll is minus one. That has been statistically proven. Yes. Um, which is why um, 
you never want me to be a player in a fake game, but you always want me to be the GM in a fake game yep. um, because I roll so poorly. But if you met, but on average, the D4F is a plus zero um, mean, which means that if you have a difficulty of three and you're using your plus two skill, right? Because in a normal fake game, you have one plus four skill, two plus three skills, and then three plus two skills. If you're using one of your plus two skills, on average, you need a fate point to achieve to achieve success. Now, that's not the only thing you can use, right, Chair? Mm-hmm. Now, on invokes and excuse me, now invokes on created aspects, we're going to help to stretch out the fate points, Ben's, because you can create additional currency that can be used in place of the character's fate points. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want the the fate fanatics to be all over me and not talk about invokes, but invokes are totally a part of this. But yep. the point being is, if on average you roll plus zero and you're using your plus two skill, you're expected that if you want this roll to pass and you know you roll and you rolled your you know the statistical norm you'll spend the fate point to get there yeah right so if you hoard fate points um then you're going to fail more often than design than the design intent right fate's a game about being competent heroes but if you're not using those fate points to help be competent then you're not really you're not really like achieving the design of the game which is to play competent heroes yeah i will argue that later on go ahead no, it's fair. It's fair. We can argue that later. All right. Yeah. So in a healthy fate economy, players spend fate points during the course of the game. They use compels to gain um, points when their aspects make things more complicated. Um, players, you know, pretty much should always have a fate, or, fate point or two handy. Sometimes you run out. We'll talk about that um, when we talk about tips. Um, and we'll talk about that when we talk about tips in just a minute. When an economy over underperforms, the game, the feel of the game can change, right? So when it underperforms, um, and this is the most common problem when people run fate um, and and uh, games in general with economies. Sorry, I'm answering your question. Uh, this can be the case of either not having enough compels to generate fate points, which I've had happen, or players hoarding them, which happens all the time with me. Um, there's also a lack of fate points in use, and thus there's more of a need for invokes. This puts a lot of pressure on creating advantages for everything, or people are failing more often. Um, in the first case, the game gets more drawn out for either than the simplest tasks people aren't using their fate points yeah um you could take that last bullet i don't know why i didn't color it oh okay and if in the second half characters don't feel as competent yeah go ahead uh when an economy overperforms or there's a fast turnaround of fate points going on okay players are either going to be able to achieve the hardest task or will just generally succeed since they can always spend a point to succeed uh the game can often border on slapstick with all the compels occurring left and right as a design note Fate is a bit more resistant to overperformance, but I would say that Savage Worlds is not, and that's 100% true. Savage Worlds, very quickly, you can have one dice roll um, accelerating past the level of control. As a GM or player, you have to be uh, prepared for that. Yeah, there's also, depending on depending on which Savage Worlds game you're playing, and again, back to which version you're playing, um, I have seen some... I have seen some games where players either start with an obscene amount of fate points, right, um, as a design intention, right? As an, with an obscene amount of fate points, or um, you know, or the opposite, right? I've seen I've seen some I've seen some Savage Worlds games where fate points are, are I'm sorry, bennies are hard to come by, and yeah, um, I, I've, I, I've played the, I've played in a couple of games with GMs who basically you're gonna you're gonna get some bennies at the start of the game, and that's probably what you're gonna get by the end of the four hour session. You really have to furiously like lean really really hard on your on your uh, 
flaws in order to get extra fate points or uh, bennies, which is not the way the game is intended. Um, I've also played games with GMs that um, you need every single Benny you have to survive the game. Um, so that, that the same thing, you need to, it goes both ways. But because of that, you can have very simply where somebody runs out of Benny's early on, that's it. They're, they're not going to make it through the game. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a, uh, from the time that I ran Savage Worlds, there's a, you know, there's a thing about the tone of the game changes when either the GM or not as much the GM, when a player spends their last Benny, Mm-hmm. their general tone in the game changes greatly Yeah, yeah. because all of a sudden you don't have a point to soak damage mm-hmm. and suddenly the I'll jump from this wagon to the next wagon that kind of players like I don't know guys it might be dangerous yeah. <laughs> like yeah, very yeah. quickly they become super cautious and that and that often depends on the type of fake game you're playing and or, sorry I'm gonna keep saying that over the savage worlds game you're playing because if you're playing a game like ETU where the entire adventure might be investigative, then that last Benny is not as important as it is when you're playing a game that's just, you know, four combats in a four-hour period. And right. That, so that the type of game you play can have an effect on how the currencies are interpreted. I mean, we've played our, our my every other Sunday night Savage Worlds game that Schmitty's in. Um, there have been games where we've played the entire night and they spent one Benny for the entire night because it's all been investigative or complicated, complicated romance or whatever. Now, Um, granted, I mean, investigative is skill check. So you could be spending Benny's on rolls, right? You could be, but not having that Benny at the end is not the same as not having that Benny when you're in a combat. Yes, absolutely. That's what I meant. The feel of the, of the game. And that's, and that, that's not demeaning at all. Just say that that's something to be aware of that different games require, different levels and also depending on your dice roll you can have a night where your dice are just on fire and you don't need those bennies or those fake points yep. to succeed yeah you could just you could have a night of rolling plus fours yep. left and right and you're just you know you're just dropping tasks like it's nobody's business um yeah so all of this is a long way this was a long way to say that when an economy is not healthy right which means that it's not running the way the designer in, expected um, your play experience is going to be different than the design intention. Um, and that doesn't, again, as Jerry said before, it doesn't necessarily mean it's negative, but it means it's going to be different. Um, and sometimes it could wind up being negative, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah. But it is going to be different, and that's going to have an effect on um, not only how the game runs, but it may have an effect on how people feel about the game. Yeah. All right. So since an economy often looks like players spending and GMs giving points, is it fair to say that for us to talk about how to play economies correctly in games, we need to discuss both sides of the table? It is correct. So we're going to start on the player's side, since spending points is very, very important. In fact, the number one thing that players needs to do with one of these economies is spend them. Yeah, you got to like spending points does two things in the game. First, it gives the player the benefit of the currency, right? Which in most cases is going to help succeed in a task or avoiding the consequences of something. Um, Secondly, it lowers their supply of points, which in turn increases a demand for points, right? This is why it's an economy, right? The supply of points goes down, the demand of Mm -hmm. points for points goes up, which will help drive play towards the mechanisms for gaining more points. Here's a couple other tips, though. 
Yeah. Like, um, so first of all, learn as a player, learn all the ways that you can use your currency. Like a lot of players in like a lot of new players to fate will remember that a fate point gives you a plus two on a check or lets you reroll, but will frequently forget that you can use it to establish a, a piece of narrative. Yep. Right. And a good GM will just call, call that out. And just, you know, when somebody asks something like, Oh, is there a ladder in the room? And the GM can be like, Oh, uh, for a fate point there is. Yeah. Right. But if, but if, but, but as a player, knowing all the different ways to spend your points is going to help you spend them because you'll know all the different situations where, uh, Oh, I could use a fate point for this, or I could use a Benny for this or a force point or whatever um, to help this part out. Yeah. So become yeah. an expert in how that currency gets spent. I've played That's a, a lot of, shit ton of fate. Sorry. I've Ooh. played a shit ton of fate and I still forget that you can spend a point for a narrative element. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I see. We we say that a lot when we do with a lot of the Savage Worlds games we've played, where I've either seen games where I've been a player where the GM will ask, you know, somebody will say, you know, is such and such here, or can I find that? And the player and the the GM's like, I don't know, and holds up their hand, is he, you know? And then yeah. somebody gives a gives a Benny over, or you'll see somebody literally say, like, somebody starts describing something, and you're like, gee, if only we had a cart, and somebody pulls out a pulls out a Benny, I brought a cart with me and left it out behind the bar. And you're like, great, you did. That's good enough, yep. you know. And the GM, you, you, you take that many and you run with it. You know, impossible mm-hmm. because there's fate point the same way. And I've seen uh, Chris does that. We did that where we played yep. that for the same thing. Like, oh, we remembered to bring this. And Chris said, yes, you did. And yep. we run with that from there. Um, <laughs> it's important to do that. And different games have different things you can spend them for. Um, uh, the Savage Worlds, you can spend a Benny to get extra, to refresh your PowerPoints. Um, there's a couple of things you can use them for. Uh, I like them for use in narrative stuff. Oh, see, I totally um, I forgot about that. I yeah. forgot oh. that, that you can use Benny to re, to replace PowerPoints. Yep, and that's yep. why I have it. And there's a mechanic in some games, like in Savage Worlds, there are, I think, three ways now that a character can share a Benny with somebody else. So having somebody else who's got that Benny economy can also help to make them useful. There's ways to make use them to make the players more uh, interactive with each other. And you know, if you're going to be a support character, that's the way yep. to do it. This is why I want play mats, man. Yeah. yeah. Like I want like one big yeah. play mat on the table that has like all the shit written on it yeah. to remind yeah. you. All right. Let's get back to the tips. I yep. think Jerry's okay. up. All right. So, uh, all right. So the second thing is find a comfort level of how you will allow your currency to go so that you don't overspend and know when to acquire more. I mean, Savage Worlds, Benny's use of some damage. So you always want to have one or two in reserve for when the combat starts most of the time. Um, when you get down to one or two Benny's and you always start working to get more. Yeah, and, and in Numenera, right? The same the same's true, like for at least for me, it's the same is true with XP. Like once I get four XP in a session, I hold on to those because I want the advancement. Yeah. Right. So like I, I will I, unless it's dire circumstances, I will not spend uh once I have four XP. Once I get the fifth XP, and then that one could be spent again. That's 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 my that's my Vegas theory. Whenever yeah. I have to go to a casino. I walk in, I say, I'm going to spend this. I'm going to spend 20 bucks and that's it. And when I spend, when I earn back 20 bucks, that 20 bucks goes back into my pocket and never comes back out again. I hold on to it. And, and, then, then, any, just... and then whatever else I've got, I play with that. And every time I, I, every time I win, I put half the money in my pocket and it never comes back out again. Just keep doing that. Um, that's, that's I don't like gambling, do but that, that, that's my, <laughs> no, no, that, that's, that's a things. smart, that's a smart approach. And, 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 and to that point, this Vegas rule also applies uh, to currencies, right? So back yeah, to what you I mean. said. Yeah. Know 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 what your twenty bucks is for that currency. Yep, yep. And put that, oh. yeah, put that aside and don't use it. Yep. Unless you unless you want to. So. Yep. 
Uh, our next tip is understand the mechanism for how points are earned so that you can direct your play into earning them. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of fate players forget about self-compelling, mm -hmm. right? So they wait for the GM to compel, um, but you can compel your own aspect by just telling the GM, like, I feel like my big fat mouth is about to get me in trouble. Yep. <laughs> you know, and the GM will hold up a fate point and you just take it from them and be like, so tell me what happens. Um, so, you know, and the same thing is true for create advantage, right? Um, in a kind of a different way, right? Create advantage is, is not generating fate points. It generates invokes, which work like fate points, but, you know, you, they're attached to that yeah. aspect. But um, if you are running low on fate points and you're in a scene where you can't really get into some compels, um, creating advantage is how you get more points yep. for getting those extra plus twos. Um, and if you've ever played Rockalypse, um, your goal is to lay down as many create advantages as possible so that you can hit the 26 shift um, yep. 26 shift hit at the end when you cash in every invoke on the table in one glorious run. Work, but, work, work that table, put those put those advantages out there so that one of your fellow players can drop the nuke. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so again, the important part is like, know how know how to earn your points so for instance you know and i'll give one more example if you're playing savage worlds you you get bennies for your weaknesses is are they still called weaknesses or whatever what are they the what's that savage worlds yeah they're flaws flaws yeah so yeah. um you know know that you need to play into your flaws and to that point um get versed in how your flaw like where you can use your flaws to screw things up um yes. so that's part of this as well right so know that part of the know that part of the economy as well jerry what's the next tip manage your clock uh you want to understand how long you play on average are you playing a four plus hours game a night are you playing a two-hour game depending on which one is to determine how fast or slow you want to use your currency and we've played games i know that when you ran your uh uh the the i always get the name of it wrong where were the the musketeers for the queen Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget the name of that game too because yeah. I'm afraid I'm going to say Alex's game, yeah, um, or 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 the other or, or PK's game. Um, right. But the, but the but it's I remember that we we only got refresh every other game because we were we weren't playing for a very long time, so we're we playing had to know like, that. Yeah, we we're playing like two hours, so yeah. I didn't let everyone refresh every session. So we had to know that if we spent all of our fate points in one game, you weren't going to have any for the next one unless you did compels and something like that. Yeah. Um, and this this becomes a, the thing as we talk about we're going to talk about later on we talk about um, golden pennies, um, so that's important to know is how much how long you're going to be playing for how many points you're going to have that sort of thing, um, and 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 that calculation is a bit bigger right because it also goes into um, the other things that you had said before which is like if you're playing a four plus hour ETU game. Mm -hmm. You probably don't need to worry about cycling up a whole bunch of um, whole bunch of bennies, as yeah. opposed to you're playing, you know, um, Savage John Wick, mm -hmm. you know, where you know yeah. you're, you're going to need a stack of bennies um, consistently through the whole night. Yeah. Now, what's now what's interesting about Genesis is that you have the for, the the force points, which are a similar mechanism to fate points. Uh, but the way the force points work is they have a dark side and a light side. And there's a set number on the table that's generated every game. And some are dark and some are light. And whenever the player uses one, it becomes dark. 
As soon as a GM uses it, it becomes light. Yeah, they're and like so Othello they, pieces, right? Yep, yep. And so there are ways to to do things. And that becomes interesting because you see how people play back and forth with those. Um, as a GM, I'm horrible about using the dark side points. Um, which can sometimes frustrate everybody because they're all dark and I haven't used any of them. Um, and so that means that as a, and we're going to talk about that we get to be a GM. You need to do, use them the same way. So... Yeah, and that's actually a great point, right? So the Genesis system talks – like that shows one of the problems in the economy is that if the GM doesn't spend any of them, the players run out of them. It's a, In that case, that economy is a closed loop. There is a finite number of these points circulating between player and GM. Now, in the case of Benny's, Benny's is an open loop economy, and this is what we talked about in 379. Um, yeah. Benny's is an open loop economy where there's no fine, there's no fixed number of them. The GM can inject more Benny's into the game um, at any moment by just pulling more chips and throwing them on the table. Yeah. Same thing is true for fate points. Fate points and, are not a closed system either. And that's become one of the problems with the new system because the new system, um, if you draw a joker, the players draw a joker, everybody gets another Benny. Um, yep. And because of the way the game is designed based on their initiative system, if you have four or more players, your chance of drawing a joker during a combat round becomes one in four. And it goes up by one for just about every play. So if you play a game with five or six players, which had a con is not unusual, you can get a joker coming out every other combat round on average. And if that happens, you can suddenly end up with the players getting, you know, we've we've played con games where you're halfway through the game and somebody's got seven bennies in front of them. High octane. Yeah. There you go. But for a con game, honestly, that's the way I want it. Yeah, yeah. For a con game, I'm kind of good with that too. High octane game like that in the concept. uh, Except this was a slow mystery. We're all playing children trying to explore a house. So Seven Bettys was not designed. I might argue that you were not playing the right game for small children (laughs) investigating a house, but that is neither here nor there. Uh, Let me get to the last. uh, Let me get to the last tip here. Um, Understand how understand how your currency resets if it resets at all. does your currency reset between sessions or stories? Does it not? Um, that's going to be important, right? Because mm-hmm. along with session duration, um, it's going to help you understand how quickly or how many points you can spend during a game, right? If you only have to get to the end of the game and next game you're going to get your refresh back mm-hmm. in fate points, uh, that's great. Like then, you know, like as you get towards the end of the session, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use a few extra of these to push things along because I'll be okay. If it's like experience points in Numenera and you have as many experience points as you have, and if you spend those four on an upgrade, they're gone. Um, then when you get to the end of the session, you got to start thinking like, okay, well, I only have four. If I spend these four to get my, you know, to, to get my um, improvement, um, what am I going to do next session? Like I'll, I'll, I'll have no experience yeah. points. I'm going to have to wait for the next you know, the next um, GM intrusion or discovery or whatever before I get my next experience point. By the way, I don't think I've, if I mentioned that experience points in Numenera allow rerolls. Yeah. I think they now allow a couple of other things too. The second edition Numenera kind of expanded on um, use for those. Uh, but the primary reason you would use an X- XP in the middle of a game is for a reroll. All right. Cool. All right. <laughs> um, Bob, you, you noted something while we were talking to you. I'll just bring that up really quick. Uh, actually, it wasn't me, but it was me. Oh, oh okay. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure. I wanted to leave that, for, to leave that for you to address, Phil. As, as oh, okay. As a, as I'll a, take care of it. So I put it in boldface for you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so really, like, um, when it comes to um earning currencies, 
Um, this is going to have a lot to do with uh, GM player trust. And we'll talk about that when we get into the GM side of this. But it's important. Um, and I do this a lot when I'm teaching people fate. When I'm talking about compels, um, if people have never played fate before, you know, I have to, I, you know, the thing I always say, and this is why I use the word, I, I use it very specifically to make things interesting, right? As opposed to I'm going to screw you over with this aspect. Yeah. Um, you know, my intention is not to screw you over or to um, take agency away from what you were trying to do. My goal is that, like, your big fat mouth is just going to make things more challenging. Um, yeah. And that and that does require a little bit of uh, a little bit of trust. If you have any of the, um, you know, 80s adversarial GM feels, uh-huh. yeah. um, you know, then, you know, this is, you know, this idea is an anathema. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, so. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to kind of wrap up this section before we kick it um, over, right. Ultimately you want to be an expert on the player side of currencies yep. um, so that you can keep you, so that you can keep spending without running out of points. There you go. All right. Okay, Phil. Cool, cool. So what do the GMs need to do with economies to make sure that they're healthy? Yeah. On the GM side of the table, the most important thing you need to do is monitor the health of the economy during play. Um, since the GM facilitates play in most games, right? Um, not all games, but in most games, since the GM facilitates play, understanding how the economy is doing is going to help you guide play to where it's going to like, you know, keep its optimal health. Um, and so we have some tips on that as well, starting with Jerry. So first, become an expert on how the currency works. In order to guide play to situations where the players spend or earn points, you need to know how they work overall. You know, understand the player's perspective of the points as well as the GM's perspective, what they're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next one is the next one's a tricky one. Um, you need to scan the player's currency levels during play. Yep. Um, one of your big jobs here, if to tell if the economy is healthy, is monitor the player's currency levels as play is going on. And this is why we often see currencies as physical points, um, like you know, uh, poker chips or. You know, fate has those, um, the cool plastic chips, or I, you know, if you really, if you spent like I did, um, those, you know, really beautiful campaign coin points, but points are easy to see as a GM. Um, if players were just writing that down as a number on their sheet, that would be a lot harder to, to maintain or eyeball how things are going. I couldn't just look at Bob and see he's got, oh, six, you know, a small stack where six bennies in front of him. Oh yeah. In in these pandemic times, in these pandemic times, as we are playing a lot of uh, virtual games, this is why it's really helpful that your currency be a token on your virtual tabletop. Um, because again, it puts it on display that you have this many tokens. Um, and what that does as a GM is as you scan them, whether it's in virtual or in play, what it does is it lets you figure out who needs points and who needs to spend points. And then going back to what we said earlier, you can then start guiding your play um, with scenes or whatever accordingly um, to get those things to happen. Yeah. I actually, when I run my game here online, I actually get out the physical tokens and place them in front of me on the other side of my keyboard so i have some idea of what the players are what the players have what they're using um so i don't forget that someone's missing one so for my um for my i hunt game Mm -hmm. i have a virtual tabletop that has um i I made tokens from the um trevor the little um uh 
the little vampire smiley face that yep. is the icon for the game. I made tokens out of those. And I have uh, at the top of the VTT, I have a, it's like a post-it note for each player and I put their tokens on it. And then yep. I have a, um, I think there's a coffee stain at the bottom that I keep my tokens in. And then I keep a few extra out on the tabletop. Um, but you know, I can always just copy and paste another token. So we don't have to keep like a big pile of them. I just have to have a few for copy and paste purposes, but it lets everybody during play look and I can say, you know, okay. Um, you know, I see that, you know, I see Bob's got three fate points. He's doing fine. Tony's down to like one. Uh, I, I probably should just go compel Tony into something. Mm-hmm. Which I think brings us to our next topic, or our next our next tip. So you need to know the kinds of scenes that are going to help you spend and gain points. As a GM, you also need to find a narrative reason to give out points. You can't always rely on the players to come to you. Sometimes you have to kind of push them in that direction. So you have to get familiar with what kind of scenes allow for gains and also what allow for spends. When are they going to be able to spend those points to do something different? And then direct play towards those uh, those scenes as you need them. Just like you said, if you're going to have if everybody's got a ton of, of points, now's the time to find reasons for them to spend them. And if people are low on points, maybe it's time to take a downbeat and give them a chance to either compel or involve themselves in something that <laughs> go a little bit different. So, Yeah, exactly. Um, the next tip is encourage spends when you need to, right? Um, players can sometimes forget to spend, a, to spend currency when they're excited um, or they may be reticent to spend it. So um, as a GM, you occasionally need to encourage their use. Um, so for instance, something like, well, you're going to need a plus three or plus four on that roll um, or, you know, only like a plus two if you're going to, you know, if you're going to spend a, a fate point. Um, and, you know, another uh, currency that we're actually all familiar with that's a much slower currency is luck in DCC. Yeah. Uh, and in DCC, uh, GM, like as a GM, you're encouraged to um, basically hint to the players uh, how much luck they would need to spend. Like, you know, when the player rolls and, you know, they don't make the um, the DC for the trap and you're, you know, they're like 15 and you're like, uh, no but would you be willing to spend say two luck right to get you into the 17 that was needed to find the trap, right? It's that kind of prompting. Um, you know, again, a player should all, you know, a player may ask, but sometimes you, you want to prompt the player uh, to get it center in their, in their mind. Uh, Jer, next one. Adjust the story to modulate the economy. During breaks, look at where the economy is and what scenes are coming up. Is there a place where you can do something around that? Make story modifications needed to get the economy where you need it to be. So you can take a break before a big battle. You can scan the table and see everybody's low on points. Um, you can then decide after that to add a scene to, uh, before the battle and allow everyone to gain a few more points. Um, this also helps with a lot of fun role-playing situations as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. Like you just got to, you know, again, it's it's all about reading. So it's so much about reading the table. And, you know, in Pandas, we always make this joke about the eight skills a GM, you know, has to manage at any, you know, at any given time in the game. If your game has a major economy, one of those eight skills is monitoring the health of the economy. And it's hard. Like as a GM, it's hard sometimes to um, it's hard sometimes to keep an eye on that when you're doing a whole bunch of other things. Like if you're running a big combat or um, you've got players in different scenes and you're doing some smash cutting 
from one player to another. Like it's hard to be doing all that. And then also like quick check the table. How's everybody doing? Bob looks a little low. I'm going to have to slide in the thing where he needs to compel. Um, maybe he'll remember to compel himself, but if he doesn't, I should probably steer him towards, you know, and Oh, I got to go over to Jerry. Like it's a lot. <laughs> it can be a lot. Yep. All right. That is our overview on the flow of economies and our tips on how to keep them going. We are going to take a break. Before we do, Bob's going to tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Yes. Our very, very favorite Pandas Talking Games, in which Phil and Senda answer your questions about RPGs from the perspective of one-shots and campaigns, or perhaps some other dichotomy of two different aspects of, of you. With Panda Silliness, of course, because that is a must. If you listen to this show, you will love it. Trust me. Yeah, absolutely. That's been proven. It's scientifically proven now. The math is there. The math is the math is there. If you listen to it, you will love it. There you go. Um, cool, cool. Yeah. So the chat um, room is chatty. Yeah, the chat room is hopping. This is a this is a, a a good topic. A lot of back and forth about the initiative system in Savage Worlds. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that card based system with the the there's there's a host of um, uh, what do you call them? Um, there, there are there are three edges that modify edges, the cards. You. There's one edge that says if you draw a card of five or less, you get a, you, you get a replacement. You keep card. drawing until you get a until you get more than a yep. five. Yep. There's a second one that says you draw always draw two cards. Yep. And there's a third one that says if you get a card of five or higher, you keep drawing until you get a card that's low, um, because your character is slow. It's a flaw. Oh, it's a flaw. <clears throat> okay. It's a flaw. Yeah. However, oh, there, cool. yeah. however, there is an edge that says that if you attack, if if you attack uh, last in the turn you get a bonus. So there's actually a, a benefit to taking to being basically slow and methodical. Yeah. Um, so that means that, for example, in the game that we play on when during normal times, um, we have something here in Buffalo called Savage Sundays, which is basically a mini con where we do two, four hour sessions of Savage Worlds. And there's anywhere from two to four GMs running stuff. So you can come and play a def- bunch of different games. And we have an ongoing Rippers game. And in that game, we have six players. And out of those six players, one has the flaw one has the draw card of five or less, and one has the draw card of five or less and draw a second card edge, um, which don't stack. If you draw a card of five or less, you get a second card that counts as your second card draw. Um, but what that means is that on any given turn with six players and at least one enemy, we're going to draw 10 of the 52 cards out of that deck. Oof. Probably more than that. Yeah. And so it's not unusual for us to go to, to see a joker every other turn. Yeah, and that makes sense. And that's why we and that's why the the Benny stack up very quickly. Um it also the the other thing we talked about is that the issue with uh the initiative based card system is that there's really not a way to mitigate your character to being better at initiative except for that one edge. Like in a game like D D or something or, or Pathfinder or many, many other games out there, your character can have DCC, your character can have a high initiative stat, which means that I just know that on average I'm gonna get a little bit higher initiative. I can build a character around being faster. We have and, a and, whole. And, we did a yeah. whole episode yep. on initiative, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. We did. Recent? Did we do it recently? Yeah. Um, and so that it's that's recently what we're, yeah, that's what in air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, just that that's something that comes up. Where in Savage Worlds you don't have that. As you draw more cards, your character's chance of doing things changes drastically. So that it's an interesting system. It's a lot of fun for a lot of people. It hmm. also has trouble people who who like me who monitor probability. It's it's wonky as hell. Oh, and, we, yeah. we did yeah. this. 
quite recently. recently. Yes, we 425. did. 425. Yes, we did. You know, no, no, I, I know we did it recently, but I was explaining it again because some people might not have listened to that one yet. Yeah. But that's what we're talking about in the in the uh, chat room. Yeah. Also, because Schmidty's in my Savage Worlds game, and one of the things that we've all been talking about is throwing the card-based initiative system off the window, um, yeah. which in Savage Worlds is difficult. <laughs> uh, yes. So. Yep. Yeah. And saw some other uh, things talking about momentum in Star Trek Adventures. Yeah, Andy brought up momentum yeah. in Star Trek Adventures. Ah. And she wishes that it cool. worked yeah. more like fate points because you only get momentum when you get more successes than you need, and then you can spend momentum on extra dice when you roll. And it's also um, group-based, and that's pretty much all you can use it for. And so it's, it's an interesting currency... Um, but you don't have that flexibility of, of being able to use it for, for other stuff. I have to say, I have gone back and forth with the thought that when I eventually run Star Trek, do I run it in STA or do I just run it in fate? Cause I feel like I could run, I feel like I could run a pretty competent Star Trek game in you fate. You could absolutely run a very competent yeah. game oh. in fate. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it would be one of the best things because Star Trek has a lot of, uh, Star Trek doesn't have a lot of what almost every other role-playing game, well, what a lot of role-playing games have, which is a focus on combat. Star Trek is often not focused on combat, and Fate handles non-combat really well. It handles combat well, too, but it handles non-combat really well. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Plus, you know, you can yeah. do fractal things with ships so that ships can have their own stats and aspects that, yeah. and stuff. Because I'm telling you, I'm just going to ask this question, and I'm hoping that my... Um, I know you guys will be able to answer it, but I'm hoping that also my um, Alpha Quadrant uh, Alpha Quadrant graduates will be able to answer this. If you were making the Enterprise D as a Fate character, what is its trouble aspect? <laughs> which, one, which one's the Enterprise D? Is that the one? The one from, from TNG. Generation. It has a very distinct trouble aspect. It's that pesky starboard power coupling, isn't it? Starboard power <laughs> coupling. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say unreliable holodeck, but okay. <laughs> starboard power coupling is the number one thing that breaks on the Enterprise D. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh, I love it. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. I think the uh, on, on Voyager, it's probably – on Voyager, at one point, it was definitely um, bioneural gel pack. Bioneural gel pack, yeah. Yes. Bioneural yep. gel pack is a is a is a is a sometimes problem on Voyager. Yep. On on the Defiant, it's that the thing is um what is it? Completely overpowered. Yeah. Yeah. Because the Defiant suffered from all the problems of tearing itself apart every time it, it um every time it fired. Yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's its trouble aspect or if it's um or if that was a condition because they fixed that. Oh no, you know what? It could be a trouble aspect and then yeah. you could just change it after a significant yeah, could, um yeah after a significant number of, of episodes. All right. Oh, I we really should jump could, back I in. Could do, I could, could do totally. a fate Star Trek. As much as you say that, and as much as I know you could do it, there's a part of me that's still like, I want to play the Star Trek system. I know. There's part of me that's like, I want to play STA to try it. And then there's part of me that's like, I feel like I could just make this whole game in Star Trek or in fate. Yeah. And it would totally kick ass. It would totally. What, what, you, need to, what, what you need to do, Phil, is have, have, have us generate characters in the Star Trek game system and give us your, give, give you your, our character sheets. And then between that week and the next week, convert everything to fate so that when the system fails, you can just get everybody their fate sheets and go, we're still playing. Here's your fate characters and go from there. We're going to play four. We're going to play four sessions of STA. 
Yep. And after four sessions, convert if people are like, I'd rather play this in Fate, I'll just convert <laughs> the whole thing to Fate. Yep. All right. I'll give, I'll give STA, I'll give STA the, the uh, I'll give STA the true trial. shakedown. I'll give yep. it four sessions. The shakedown That's every time we ran, shakedown That's what every time we ran champions. So, uh, All right. All right. Back into the fray. We're going to field the roundtable yes. questions that everybody loves so much, I hope, because we keep doing it. So they better love it. Otherwise, they should tell us that they don't love it, and then we'll change. Um, so first question, Phil. Yeah, first question is, what is your favorite economy in an RPG? All right, I'll go first. And to me, they're all different flavors of the same. Um, I don't have a favorite economy. I, I just want a game to have them. Um, I, I I love the Betty's and Savage worlds. I've seen them used well, and I've seen them used poorly. Um, I've played in fake games where... You don't get enough fate points, and I've played in fake games, and the fate points are excellent. Um, and the way that you use them kind of works the same across the board. It's going to be either a bonus to your die roll or a re-roll or a narrative effect. Um, those are all my favorite economies. <clears throat> um, I guess I would say the flip, the flip side of it is the I'm not super fond of the Numenera economy. I don't like economies where your choice is either eco- uh, economy or experience. We're using your economy uh penalizes your experience progression i don't like games like that i don't like that economy yeah it, it, that. I, I get it it's a, like i i get why you don't like it it's yep. a um it's 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 a tough um it makes it makes it a tough decision in the middle of play yeah. it's it, i it would makes prefer it a, my it makes, xp it makes, be my xp yeah i would say it makes an unnecessary decision in the middle of the game i think it complicates the game unnecessarily and it's one of the reasons why while i've enjoyed playing numenera i would not want to play it as a campaign most of the time uh, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't, um, what you call it? I don't begrudge you that point. I think that that's a valid reason for not liking that, that currency. Yep. Yep. Uh, Bobo. Yeah. So my answer is, is could be considered lame, but whichever currency or economy lets me reroll. That's mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I'm not going to begrudge you that because I have played, um, I have played, uh, I don't know, a lot of years 30 20 what have it maybe Lots. like 25 years of many many much years and yes. i've seen you roll through the years so um there i know been, why you love a good re-roll <laughs> there have been many times where i'm like damn i wish i could re-roll this <laughs> uh, i can think all the way back to whispering vault which had a um had a re-roll had a, had a well, i think it had points i don't think it was a currency uh, I'm, I'm sorry it had a currency not an economy for yeah. re, for points to re-roll and i can definitely remember you blowing them sometimes two in a in a single roll because oh, it's <laughs> frustrating because you want the thing to happen and you're like damn it right yeah yeah um which i'll bring up a point that um uh, jason pitt had mentioned early in the episode in the chat room um about the fate dice and the reason why um fate dice which back then were fudge dice um they come out at zero the original intention for fate was to be a set of mechanics for amber diceless yep and the idea was that you wouldn't want to go to a totally random system use the word random carefully because it is both a mechanical term and a character in the novel you didn't want to go to like a completely swingy um random mechanic because then um benedict could roll like a one yeah and that never seems possible because that's Benedict. Yeah, and if you go up into 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 uh, into weapon combat with Benedict, you can't allow him to just roll a one and be like, "Well, I, I just failed." 
No, right, like Benedict some you not... know some some amberite teenager like you yeah. know disarms them or something like that's that, that would never happen. Ass with weapons. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, in in choosing the in choosing the fudge dice mechanic as the as the mechanic um, for building out this idea for uh, a mechanized version of amber, that idea was that on average your characters. Um, your character's role with their best skill will fall at their best skill. So if you're Benedict, your average role is you're awesome. Some of the time you're even more awesome and occasionally you're a little less awesome. Yeah. Cool. Right. And then you use a couple of fate points to yeah. put yourself back to awesome. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. Um, it's an interesting feature yeah. of um, like the evolution of that game, but it's where that idea of competent dramatic. Yeah characters that, comes from and that, um, and that's and that's where my question came when you talked about competency because in my eyes a competent character should be succeeding on their prime their prime skill more than half the time and that's right. what without without having to make sacrifices so and that, so and that and, let me, and that is where i think that fate is still a great game system but your characters aren't really competent unless they're spending compels and stuff like that just by themselves, like if you're a swordsman, you might have a plus two sword skill or plus three but, sword skill. But yeah, but that should not. So, to be clear, and this yeah. is this is part of like learning to make your fate character. If your character is an expert swordsman, there's only one skill level you pick for being an expert swordsman, which is you use your plus four slot. If you have a plus two in a skill, that is not your competent skill. So. I guess the differentiation is let me back up fate accelerated because I've never had a character with a plus four skill. Okay. So, so to be clear, well, and it's true in accelerated too, but the numbers change. So if we're just talking about core is not to con not to confuse anything. Okay. The idea is that your character is not good at everything they do. It's that your character is good. There's one thing that your character is excellent in, right? That's your plus four skill. Yep. And that one's the plus four. And in the book, on average, the average difficulty is a two or three, depending on the GM. So if you're netting a zero on average with the dice and you have a plus four, you will, on a non-opposed roll, you will more times than not, 66% of the time or more, you will yeah. pass that, that check. Those numbers go down as you go down in skill level, right? So at a three... It starts to even out to 50-50 at a two. At a yeah. two, you now start to need the fate points or invokes to get you over the hump. Okay. But but if you're, and again, this kind of goes also, if you look back to the, I know you didn't play Amber Diceless, but if you look back to this game's lineage, in Amber, each character was like super awesome at a thing. Yeah. And and so um, your that's what your plus four skill represents. Now, when you go to play uh, Excel, uh, accelerated, or yeah. when you go to play right. accelerated, your top skill is a three, yeah. and the recommendation is that the highest challenge is like a two. Like the I'm sorry, not highest. The average challenge is a two, right? And then you want to sweat your players by yeah. um, by raising that up or using um, aspects on the table as the GM to drive that number up. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, not to get into a huge no, fate but theory. No, but, yeah. but, that, but, but it, 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 makes, um, it, makes, it makes a difference on how, because that's an important game theory thing, because I would say probably three quarters of the fake games I've played, most of the time you're rolling against a difficulty equal to your stat. Your, your stat. 
So if you're if you've got a plus three, it's difficulty three. And to me, that doesn't mean competency. That means you're yeah. And, and 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 as a result, you end up spending points more often. And but that's not and that's not every game. That that that's why I want to play more fate. So that <laughs> yeah right. And yeah. so the hard part is that there's no. Um, there's no great hard and fast rules about how to set difficulties. So if a GM accidentally starts setting difficulties too high, Mm -hmm. then the game stops looking as um, the, the game stops looking as competent. Yeah. If you were me and I'm rolling, since I average a minus one, when I roll fate dice characters wind up always looking better. Yeah. Um, In almost everything that I have to give an opposed role for, you're going to wind up doing better than me. Or I'm going to have to spend more fate points yep. and then I run out. Um, that's a frequent problem. All right. We anyway, should wrap up the first uh, question with your answer. Yeah, for me. Obviously is- um, for me, I actually love fate. Um, cool. One, we, you know, obviously because we're talking about it. But yeah. what I really love about fate is um, I love the compel. Um, as opposed to other games that use things like, like, like the flaws in Savage Worlds. Um, compels... Um, Compels can actually, um, they can be serious, but compels have a lot of room to also be funny. Yes. Um, there are moments like, they, you know, it's the what would be the worst thing that could happen at this moment compel, right? Like, well, he's going to run his big fat mouth, right? Like, you know, um, you know, you could have a, you know, you can have a character who has a trouble aspect of, well, actually. Yeah. Right. Like, and somebody says something and then the GM holds up a point and everyone else at the table is like, oh, no, 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 please don't take it. And the yeah. player takes it and is like, well, actually, and starts in. And now, you know, the scene now just got like what was going to be a very simple scene of getting past this guard has now turned into, um, you know, a much bigger scene of having to now deal with the guard being insulted and all, you know, all this stuff. Oh, I'm going to save that. Well, actually, is. uh Yeah. And and I mean, just the 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 sidebar of the compel being the self compel, when you're a GM and you're sitting at your table and you're playing your fake game, and one of your players goes, "Oh, I did this to Chris in our Dresden game." I said, "Chris, instead of going over there where they're going, I'm going over here because tr- I, I'm compelled to." Or, or what was I forget what my aspect is now. Off the top of my head, I'm drawing a blank suddenly. But my aspect basically is I'm drawn to help those in need. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'm going over here. And he goes, oh, here's a fake point. <laughs> yeah, it, it's I love them. I, I love I love I love that there's a self compel. I love I love compels in general. Um, I, I just I love the everyone. mayhem they cause. And if you do it in a very trusting way as yep. not to um, de, you know, as not to take away agency and as not to thwart players. Yeah. Um, it can just make um, it just makes scenes um, more exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That it's, is uh, yeah, always that, drive the story is always better. So. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And I think fate does. I think fate has a really neat way of doing that. All right. Mm-hmm. Question number two. Okay. As a player, what's the hardest part of playing games with economies? So again, just so that we're clear, we're talking about player side, right? Yep. So when you're a yep. player, yep. What's the hardest part? For me, just not having enough. For whatever reason, whether it's the game itself doesn't give you very many, like say it's a closed loop, um, or sure. or your your GM's just not keeping them flowing or whatever, whatever reason that is, it's so hard when you're sitting there like I've got one point, 
I really need to use it, but I need it later. I gotta like, uh, like one or two more points and this would flow like you know, having, having not enough, just, uh. <laughs> yep. yep. So hard. What about you, Phil? Uh, for me, it's understanding the speed of the economy. I'm, I'm not opposed to spending. Um, I don't really get into hoarding, but kind of in a similar vein to you, I don't like not having enough of them. So I'm always afraid I'm going to overextend myself. Um, so I tend to be like, I, I really want to understand the speed of the economy. Otherwise I do tend to hoard a little um, just because um, I, I, just because I don't want to be the guy who runs out of Benny's and we get into, we get into a gunfight, right? I don't mind having one or two Benny's and then we get into a gunfight and I'm like, Oh boy, I still got to be careful, but at least I got a Benny or two yeah. like in case I get hit. Um so I'm, I, you know, for me, like the real challenge is unless somebody explains the speed of the economy to me, I'm like the whole time I'm playing, I'm trying to clock the economy. That's me. Jer, how about you? I'm, I'm going to take a change of pace here and say hoarding is the problem. Yeah. Same thing. I, I'm a hoarder when it comes to Benny's. Um, so this is a throwback to when I played a lot of games with adversarial GMs uh, where you needed to have those extra Benny's at the end to survive. Yep. Um, I tend to save Benny's and fate points until I absolutely need them. Um, the fact that I played so many early fake games, then my, the game I'm playing now is really good. And I'm really coming to love fate, but a lot of the fake games I played in the past, I was just always hoarding fake points. Cause I felt like if I didn't have at least three on hand at all the times I could never survive. Um, and say there's Benny's, there were some games where you needed to have them just to survive. Sometimes it varies depending on the game. Um, if I have a plus two stat, and I need a plus four to succeed. The odds are good. I'm going to spend that fake point. Mm-hmm. If I have a plus two set and I get a plus six to succeed, I'm probably not gonna bother spending it because the odds don't make it don't make it. I, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a probability person. So if the probability isn't good, it's not worth spending that resource on the chance that you might roll really, really, really high. Um, right. unless it's unless it's desperate. And that makes a difference. No, um, but that's but that's where so the 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 higher strategy for fate is that's where you want somebody creating advantages so that what you then start looking at is, okay, there are three aspects on the table that have invokes on them that apply to this situation. I can scoop up, up to a plus six in, in Ben, in, in points right now. Therefore I shall make my, um, you know, therefore I'm going to go ahead and take this role because if I need to, I can drain these out. Um, and it's why in a in a fate game, it's really important that somebody goes around creating advantages. Yes, yeah. at some point somebody's yeah. got to drop some advantages on. I mean, that's a role in a game group. Like if yeah. you have a if you have a group of people at the table, if one of their jobs is every turn they don't actually fight, they just create advantages by doing stuff. Mm-hmm. You have helped the entire table immensely. When we played Rockalypse, uh, I was the MC. Mm-hmm. Right. My, my job wasn't really to battle anyone like my job was to hype the crowd. Yep. Right. And that like generated like I just all I did was keep creating advantages and throwing them out on the table with invokes all over them. Which is why getting caught in fate by yourself can be so dangerous. Yes. yes. And that's where um, as a general rule, uh, and I always tell this to players, especially new players, never spend a fate point when an invoke will do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. If there's an invoke on a table that you can use, use yeah. it before you use your fate point. Because yeah. if you do get caught alone, is when you want to have you know a couple of fate points in your pocket yeah. to to be able to uh, 
to be able to use them. And a very good reminder of the 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 um, gaming axiom: never split the party. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, very much so. Uh, and that's and that's that's something that I mean, I uh, talk. We talk about hoarding um, here in Buffalo. We have something called Savage Sundays, which during the normal times, as I said, was a small mini con um, every month. And one of the things you could do is by supporting the store, you could get what they call the golden venue, which is a venue you could take with you from game to game until it was spent. <laughs> so if you were buying stuff every month, you'd get golden bennies. Um, at one point, I had over a dozen of them and would come to the table and just stack them in front of me for a game. Um, which, And then we had a GM who created enough of an interesting game where we, I think I spent seven of them in one session, uh, which was great. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's a good game because we, and again, we were using them for things like narrative control or we have this thing or whatever, you know, to help somebody else's mm-hmm. party. Um, the physical side of it, but I like to, uh, it's also, I just like to hoard things. I'm a hoarder. Um, <laughs> no. But uh, no. But yes, yes, just a little bit. Um, I've also been in the situation where sometimes a GM will ask for, like, you know, um, if you spend a fate point or a Benny or a hero point, you can have this not happen. And it's better, nope, I'm going to keep this resource and have this happen because what's going to happen is going to be more interesting. Yeah. I'm almost, I, you know, the one, the one that, you know, I mentioned at the bottom of the list is you can use a fate point to turn down a compel, but I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever played. I think I've played maybe one time where somebody turned down a compel because the, the position they were in was super precarious and they were like, no, I don't really want to make this any more interesting. Yep. Yeah. Um, then it is. I would like to just get out of here. Yeah. Um, and I was cool with that. But most times, 95 percent of the time, um, when someone brings up a compel self table, brings up a compel for somebody or I bring it up, most people are like, no, no, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. it's I, I've, I've, I've played a game where we had a lot of it's like a Savage Worlds game where we had a GM who was was like, well, you know, or you could pay me a betting and that won't happen. And nobody was taking, you can see the, slowly you see the, uh, it kind of felt bad for the GM because you could tell they wanted to do something, but needed to bet to do it. And nobody was buying it, was making the bait. Like, we are in enough trouble. We don't need to complicate this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we used the betting settings anyway. So it was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> sometimes the, even the best resources don't work when your dice keep rolling badly. So that's where the fate ability to simply add a plus two makes, makes it a much better resource element because you're not relying it's it's a fixed number you can use and that i find much more reliable yeah. um you know i can re-roll fine but i might still roll badly especially if i need yeah. the, uh-huh. or being able being simply able to add a plus two it's like okay now i have a much better chance and i have a or i might just get enough to, to succeed yeah i'll the, spend this point and succeed and that makes the game more narrative the, again Glad the not. re-roll is far more uh far more attractive when you roll super shitty Yep. Yes, like he rolled you a minus four minuses on the dice, and you're like, no, no, <laughs> we're going for something else. At least if you go flat, you've got a net gain there. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think the re like you said, I think the re-roll is better when you roll really badly. It's mm-hmm. not as attractive when you simply need to roll super, super high yeah. to succeed. And that's it, where the it, that, that's where the that's where the fate point has it all over the betting. Yeah, uh, the so fate point's cool in that it has both of those modes, right? So yeah. on a catastrophic roll, you're like, no, no, get rid of that. And on a, I'm pretty close, you're like, no, no, I don't need to re-roll. Yeah, just and, and again, I've, again, when playing with new players, I've had to remind them of that too. Like, yep. no, no, you don't want to re-roll here. 
you only need just to spend this like yeah yeah like just spend from this aspect and that aspect you're fine yeah like yeah i also often forget that i can that i can do more than one invoke like there's oh. three on the table i think i can only take one no and no in no the first, and in the first two fate point fate games i played the gm did not explain that you could invoke without spending a fate point so i thought i had to spend a fate point to use the invoke Right. That messed, that'll mess yeah, you up that, too. So, so, yeah, yeah. So the the thing is, if there are no invokes on it, and it's still on the table, like let's say on fire is on the table, and there are no more invokes on it because everybody spent them, you can spend a fate point off of that in off of that aspect, and yeah. get the bonus. But if there are invokes on it, mm-hmm. um, and again, right, never never use a fate point where an invoke will where an invoke will do. Yeah. Um, which is all. Which is also the reason why you want your guy running around, like you want yep. your person running around the room, spreading the fire. Yep. Yeah. Right. Using create advantage to like, well, I'm gonna you know kick over these barrels of liquor into the fire. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, here's yeah. another two invokes on the if you know. You've got a party, <laughs> and you've got one character that's the the advantage fairy just dancing around the field, going create, 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 create. Mm-hmm. You've got a good party going because oh, it's, person, it's amazing. It's amazing everybody. what what it's amazing when one person does that, that for a game. You know what that is? That's what I call the bard. That's the cleric. That's the cleric buffing everyone. The cleric, the bard, yeah, the bard, yeah. Oh, you totally could play a fate bard. Oh, yeah. Who just runs around creating advantages. Yep. And if I was going to do it, I would go and I would go into the character cache oh, yeah, and maybe. get uh badass Brett the Bard. Brett, Brett the badass Bard. There you go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Our heavy right. metal Bard. The heavy metal Bard. All right, All right Bob, get us out of here. We're, question we're, three. As a GM, what is the hardest part of running games with economies? For me, it is monitoring levels. Um, it is not a thing I'm great at doing um, regularly. Like I can do it at breaks and I can do it between scenes, but like I am not great in the middle of doing narration or running a combat for checking anybody's levels of anything. Yep. It's just like I, there are eight things going on and that is the one I never pay attention to. Um, so what winds up happening in a game is that between scenes or during a break or something, thing when i reassess then i am like making alterations like oh i gotta go jam in this you know like i gotta go get an invoke in for bob um or compel i gotta get a compel up lined up for bob in the scene what can i do what can i change yeah that kind of thing which is the reason and i'll just give this as a general fate tip if you are um if you are playing fate um one of the things i love as a gm tool is i always keep a table of all of the players aspects Yep. It, like I keep it on my side of like I keep it on my side of the table um, and I keep it in front of me because um, I'm never going to remember all your aspects. And so if I need to compel you and we're like getting to head into a scene, I can look through your entire list and be like, oh, I'll lean on this one. Yep. yep. That kind of thing. Um, so I always after everybody's after character creation, I like to make a little table and keep it with me on i don't use a gm screen but i like to keep it on my side of the table yep mm-hmm. um that has everybody's aspects on it so i have them um quick quick to view yep. jr how about you um for me it's remembering to give out enough fate pointer bennies um i've only re- run fate a couple times and i always forget to give them back out again uh with benny same thing i always forget to give to to when i to identify when a player is playing their flaws and give them the benny for it but i always tell my players like if you're doing this to get a Benny, tell me. You know? Yes. 
yeah. or, or yep. if you see somebody playing their character and you think they get a Benny, tell us. You know, I'm I, I, I tend to be fairly generous with them. Um, I also try to get people to give them back fairly fairly quickly. Um, this is a lot easier, as you said, in person when you get a stack yeah. monitor. I find it much more difficult online because some of the games I run use maps and things, so my roll 20 is going to be showing the players what they're looking at, so I'm not going to have a, a, a page up that's a, a playbook thing for them to see their, their Benny's on. It's a little tougher to run. You um, know what you could do mm-hmm. is one of those little dots above the player. You can set one of those to be their Benny level. Yeah, uh, It's tougher to do an Eberron because an Eberron, not only do you have Benny's, but they're three different kinds. Oh, jeez. You, you, you have one Benny that's, that's just a standard Benny, one Benny that's a standard Benny, or you can add a D6, but if you do that, the GM gets it. And a third Benny that lets you add a D6. It's, it's, they're the Deadlands Bennies. Well, the there's, Deadlands, there's Deadlands three role. circles that you can modify, so... Yeah. Are you a bard, cleric, thief? It kind of seems unnecessarily complicated now that you've brought it up. <laughs> what? Bard, cleric, thief? Why not? That, 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 that's literally... No, I'm, I think I'm misquoting it's an order a... Of the stick, um, uh, oh, I mean, that, that, that's... That that that's literally Bridget's character in our in our Eberron game. She's the she's a halfling healer who also has the ability to share Benny. So she's the she's the no. I'm sorry. It's bard. isn't it something like isn't it something like thief thief wizard something? I have to or find what? it later. I'll it's find. Wrong. Yeah, we'll find the quote. It's the it's when the um. Oh God, I haven't read Order of the Stick in forever. Okay, got it. It's it's when um, it's when the bard meets his uh, his, his twin brother. Twin? Oh yeah, Elon. Yeah, yes. and his evil brother. Are you, are you, you're you're a you're a you're a, a a fighter wizard with cleric abilities and a little bit of thief. Yes, right. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that unnecessarily complicated? Up until this point, I had never thought so. Yeah. Now, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, I think that that basically just giving out enough bennies. Yeah. Um, and and that might change in the world when we get back to playing in person again. So, but it is so it, right. It is tricky, right? And I, I mentioned this earlier in the episode. Like the reason economies are in points, like on a table, is like so that you can see them because it's it's such a good visual aid mm-hmm. for monitoring them. And so yeah, it's a real challenge when you like it's a real challenge to monitor the economy, which is another point we were talking about, right? The main yeah. point of a GM is to monitor the economy. It's really hard when you don't have a clue about where everything is. Yeah. I am a well, huge I guess, fan. I, I, go ahead. I'm a huge fan of a table that is comfortable enough to be like, yeah, I thought you did a really good thing there that leaned into your flaw or whatever, and you should probably get a point or, you know, Hey, um, Hey, maybe, maybe you should compel yourself. You should self compel on that. Like if the table's doing a little crosstalk and and stuff like that, I like that. There are the people out there that are super into the, well, it breaks my immersion and the verisimilitude. That is the V word. I don't like the V word. I have an easy solution for that. Don't play with those characters. Uh, but no, no, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I do like as a GM when I'm doing something, all of a sudden somebody says, well, that was really cool. Do they get a, you know, hey, that thing Bob did was really cool. Should he get a Betty for that? I'm like, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Here, you know. Um, I, I'm all for table participation. Yeah. And again, I'm all for, and I, you know, like, like you said, Jerry, like if you're, if you're, angling if you're angling your play to get a point yeah um, say it. also tell me that yep. and and in fate like when we're playing person face to face i am fine if that is just you hold your hand out yeah, yeah. right like yeah. Yeah. like as you're saying whatever it is to make yep. the scene more complicated if you are just holding your hand out waiting for your fate point yeah. i'm like oh right and then yeah. 
will drop you your fate point. Yeah. Now, yeah. all that being said, if you like to sit at the table and go deep immersion with all the verisimilitude yeah. that you can handle, and that's the way you like to play, awesome, more yep. power to you. Play the game and enjoy it. Yep, there are, there the are lots of tables with lots of different ways yep. to play. And they're, just as while we've been discussing how troublesome several of us find the Savage Worlds initiative system, it still is a lot of fun for thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. And keep playing that way because yep. it's, it's what's making it good for you. I will say that I will always say that the first couple times I run Savage World after after I haven't run it in a while, I do like throwing the cards around for initiative. And then after I've run it for a while, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Right. And I'm like, (laughs) but those first couple times when you stand up and you're like, uh, Jack for Bob. Oh, a deuce for, you know, for Glenn, you know, like, like it's fun. Right. Like I like it, but like it, it does wear. Um, I mean, that's actually my feeling about Savage Worlds. After I've played Savage Worlds like four or five times in a row, I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, I've played through this entire game. Moving on, doing the thing. (laughs) Which is why it used to be my game of choice for conventions. Oh, yeah. Because playing them in one shots was great. It'd be like, well, we're G.I. Joe fighting Gilligan's Island on this one shot. And it'd be like, cool, man, sign me up. I'm Junkyard. You ride it like Um, you stole it, and then you move on to the next thing. Yeah. yeah. That's why it's still my game of choice for converting simple things like if i want to run girl genius i can run it in savage worlds if i want to run um you know any little thing marvel comics i can do it quickly in that um because it's a simple game to work about work with um i'm still not thrilled with the initiative system um and as we talked about our initiative thing i'm not sure i've got one that i like more than another one at this point but there's there's a lot of stuff you can do with them and uh at the end of the day i think it just um whatever with economies and and cards and everything else whatever works for you do it i mean yep. if you're having fun with it play it uh you know i know we don't we on this game on this podcast very rarely discuss you know d20 systems and things like that we tend to go very story game but that doesn't mean that there aren't lots of really good you know d20 or fourth edition or yep. pathfinder games out there that people are having a great time with um we can mix them up so anyway that was our show about economies Yep, we hope the next time you're playing a game with an economy, some of this advice will be helpful. And we're going to check in one more time with the chat room before we head off to the conversation corner. All right, so that was a good-spirited discussion in the uh, in the uh, chat room. Um, <coughs> I don't think we have any new questions. Um, Pretty much everybody talking about yeah. use, proper use of fate points to do, not properties, uh, how, some of the theories on how to use fate points. Yeah. Schmidty said, re-roll if it's below a minus two and otherwise use it as a plus two, which makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, Those are your blackjack rules, right? You want to yep. hit on, you yeah. know. Hit on 16. and <laughs> Right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, yeah. when we started talking about bards, we had a lot of, you know, oh, yeah, let's play bards. I love this idea. <laughs> I love bards. Oh. I, when I play a fantasy game, one of the first things I figure out is how do I play a bard? Because you can, they're often, they're often not going to be the best at anything, but they're often really good at doing a lot of fun little stuff and getting immersed into the way the game plays. Yeah. yeah. Many years ago, Bob played a, uh, a dungeon world bard. It is the only time was, I have ever played a bard. That bard was hilarious. It was played, very funny. It was a very, it was a one shot. It was a one shot night at Gen Con. We were playing in our hotel room. Yep. Bob played this, um, hippie bard that was high most of the time i i played him like he was high but he wasn't actually high he was just kind of like super mellow laid back and you know and... oh yeah we didn't even uh we we didn't even acknowledge 420 today. yeah today i feel so rem- the day we're recording 
That's why in the show notes, the title of the episode is Smoke Them If You Got Them. Yeah. Happy 420, Schmitty. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else who, you know. Hey, I mean, everyone else can enjoy it, it too, but yeah, I feel right. like. <laughs> All right. Enjoy, are, enjoy are, yourselves are, and have a good day. Yeah. Are we good say, for conversation corner? I, I want to make two. I want to make uh, one more, one more real quick uh, comment based oh, please, on uh, please do. the we we hinted at media earlier um, with John Wick, um, and and it, it occurred to me. I'm, I'm envisioning that chest full of gold coins that he had. Is those are all bennies? Yeah, those are all bennies. Oh yeah, He's turning yeah, in his bennies for stuff. Yep. <laughs> He's like, oh, you, you want you a room get, with the you, continental? You, you, you have to Here, buy other services with yeah. it, right? Like, yeah. And then. Uh, yep. I had a thought. Phil Phil remembers this movie with me. Um, some of the youngins will not remember this, but the movie Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Brian uh, oh, yeah. Hines. Using oh, no. Costanza, I feel like at one point they were out of Benny's and all of a sudden they're like playing it safe. Like, whoa, wait a minute. We got to call for backup. Yes. Like, yeah. If they had their yeah. Bennies, they wouldn't have been. <laughs> they they got close to retirement. They started yeah. to panic. Yep. Yeah. That is oh, perfect. Man. That's a great movie, too. Uh, it's oh, such I an that. That, that movie's movie. a it is so that movie's much a fun. classic. All right, that means we're ready for the conversation corner. Yay! All right, so um, this past Sunday we had our uh, Forbidden Lands game, and again, Forbidden Lands never disappoints. Um, it was a hell of a lot of fun. We had uh, we it has a mass combat system. Um, it's it's not super detailed, so it's, it's easy to figure out and get up to speed. And uh, and in the course of that, you have individual scenes that can come up. And I ended up fighting a um, one of the leaders of the opposing force. And it turned out to be quite a battle. Uh, we went back and forth for like five or six rounds before I finally cut him down. Before you rolled like that ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous like... like five five point hit. He was no chump either, no, right? Like, I mean, he, his stat-wise, he was, like, on par with you. Yeah. And he held his own for a little bit. Yep. And then I rolled, like, one success out of, like, 10 or 11 dice. And you rolled, like, Five. seven. Yeah, <laughs> it was like that, yeah. It was really, it was like, and yeah. he had already been wounded. And I was like, oh, boy, like, this will be the yeah. moment. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I go into any combat in Forbidden Lands, like, hoping that on the first round, I'm just going to drop a whole bunch of successes. I'm just going to hack my opponent down. But and, and you have one, that this um, one stretched me out. So, yeah, and you have that uh, what you call it? you have that one ability that if you do a point of damage, you automatically roll for a critical. Yes, and which a lot of times just winds up being so. small and cosmetic, but occasionally, yeah. like you have, like you know, I think you ended somebody once with that. Like oh, you yeah. did a point of damage, but you rolled like you lopped their head off. Yeah, I rolled like a like a sixty three or something. <laughs> Great. Make a D sixty six roll for a for uh, for uh, a critical hit. Like boom. The mass combat thing's fun because it, it it's like it, it's just happening in the background, and you're trying like you guys were you guys were laying siege to this town that had been taken over by these um, religious zealots, and they're fighting back. And in the middle of it, you guys are doing stuff, but yeah. also like it can't. It's not just on your shoulders. Like your group has to um, actually prevail in the battle and um sean wound up um recruiting more townspeople in yep. the middle of combat like getting them to come out of their houses and join the fight yep uh -huh. it was cool it was people it, that like, were oppressing I, you are, are, are starting to fail come out and join the fight 
Yeah, exactly. Like it was, it was really cool. Like everybody got to do stuff and everybody got like a cool highlight scene in the middle of the combat. And then eventually you guys won the combat and you like beat back all the forces till you have just now the last bad guys held up in the town hall. And next session, we're going to take care of them. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, that's a lot of fun as usual. Um, Valheim, uh, we had a we had a troll extravaganza where Jerry and I were on for I don't know what was it like three hours or something like that four and a half we were, we were on for four and a half hours four and a half hours and we had like nine trolls yep <laughs> it yep. was ridiculous and then I was on after work today uh, for a little while and I ran into the highest level troll that you can have which is a two star troll. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, I've taken down trolls solo before now. I've, I've got the, you know, like fire arrows, duck and weave, you know, and and just stay out of reach. And this thing would not go down because it's a two-star troll. So it's got like a bazillion hit points. And it killed me twice. And luckily, my spawn point was in the, 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 the tower that we had just renovated, like not far from where I was letting it chase me around. So it killed me the first time. I came down. I looked out. Oh, it's off there. I snuck up, grabbed all my stuff from my from my corpse thing, got back into it, and then went and tried to finish it off. And it got me again. And then after that, I was like, it's still got like a third of its hit points. I'm like, I'm done. And then later, Cherry finished it off for me. Yes. Yeah. But those things, oh, man, just. Well, in, in, in Valheim, every star is a factor of one. So to a one-star monster does twice as much damage, has twice as much hit points, has twice as much resistance, and has half as much chance to be critical. Yeah. So a two-star troll has three times as much health, does three times as much damage, three times as much resistance, yeah. and has only a one-third chance of being stunned. And so it, it, it's it's not just fighting three trolls. It's actually individually it's going to take less damage and has more hit points. Yeah. So it's it yeah, was brutal. We, yeah, it, it, was, it was terrifying. Yeah. And, and in all the best ways. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was that was a thing. Um, Voyager is definitely not as bad as I remember it from back in the day. So I'm glad I'm going through this rewatch. I'm definitely enjoying it. Um, and and I'm I'm in such a excuse me a Trek mood that I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and redoing Disco now that uh, Phil's going to be jumping in to do Discovery. I'm looking forward to new seasons of that and Picard coming out. You know, down the road, and I'm like super excited about eventually sitting down at a table and playing a Star Trek character again because I did it a long time ago and we never really got super far in that game. The last one we tried to play just kind of died on the vine, but um, looking forward to, to getting some Star Trek on the table at some point and maybe hopefully face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That would be nice. Um, and then to, to round out my section, um, between... Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the Shang-Chi teaser. Uh, Marvel's killing it as usual. Um, okay. Right now they're doing everything as, as close to right. I know there are some minor complaints about the um, about uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier from a storytelling perspective. There were a couple of reasonably valid concerns that I read online, which I, at the moment I can't remember what they were, but I know that they, they seemed reasonable complaints. Um, but overall... They're telling a really good story. The characters are compelling and fun, um, and their 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 beat structure is almost always on point. They're they're almost never have problems with their beat structure. Um, yeah. 
So looking very much forward to what comes next when Loki comes out and when the 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 movies start dropping again. Um, I might actually be willing to go to a theater to see Black Widow in July. Yeah. Still on the fence about that one, but that's July. It's a couple months <laughs> yeah. away still. So, yeah, I'm wait. I'm waiting to see. I'm I, I'm waiting on two things. One, I'm waiting to see on local infection rates. Yep. yep. And two, I'm waiting to see if they offer it in, concurrently on Disney Plus because yes, they we, will. we they could because we could all just go to somebody's house and watch it together. Yes. In a much safer venue than going to a theater by just you know one of us renting it and chromecasting it on our, on our tv yes bro- that was, bro- that- um uh, um black widow is confirmed july 9 theaters and disney with premiere access and you know so, we, yes. we do have a friend who's setting up a backyard a backyard uh a backyard, uh, a backyard theater yep. your backyard theater i would i would be all for that Yep. I would have and no. I, I, I'm going to have no problem hanging out with you guys yeah, because the we're all vaccinated, are all vaccinated now. now yeah. So by then um, it's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, yeah. so one way or another, I don't think we're going to be watching Black Widow alone. No. no, I think we're going to be watching Black Widow together, and it'll be like so nice to hang out with people. Oh yeah. Yep. All right. Agreed. Old man's going to go uh, uh, vacate the room for a half a minute while Jerry starts his. Uh, yeah, my, yep, my, yep. My, mine will be mine will be short i hope uh valheim again uh, well, i'll just start off by saying that uh while last week was my big game week none of my games went off because we had sicknesses we had people that couldn't make it so i actually didn't play any role-playing games at all last week as opposed to the four i normally play so i was all online so we played a lot of valheim um team-oriented stuff not only fighting trolls but also just um uh one night I got on and everybody else was sick. So I just got on and I just wandered around and explored a bunch of stuff and then went back. And once Bob came on, we went back to the same places and cleared out some stuff, things that I couldn't handle on my own. And then Chris came on and we went back and decided we're going to build a new village and spent several days just working together as a team, building stuff, fighting off trolls, fighting off monsters, exploring um, silly little things like building Lake Shack and Bob's, Bob's Love Hacienda and stuff like that. Um, and then Bob and I decided last night to go wandering and we encountered just a ridiculous number of trolls. And uh, they're one of the big bads at the low level of the game. And uh, um, and then, yeah, Bob's big troll showed up today. And then when I got on to see what was going on, it came back and it chased me um, a good four maps in the wrong direction where I hadn't been before. I fell off a cliff and had to recover from that. And uh, so it just got to be uh, one thing, which is a lot of fun. It's, it's what... We refer to the game as when a troll shows up, I often do a lot of involuntary exploration because I'm just running off <laughs> in a direction because you can outmaneuver them, but you, uh, unless you're Chris, you can't take them on one-on-one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Chris is just death on two legs in this game. He's uh, Generally, Bob and I will find something interesting, attempt it, die, go back to get our bodies, die, finally get our bodies back, and then go, Chris, over there. And then he goes in and just kills everything. Um Again, enjoyed a lot of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, they're telling good stories. They're doing a lot of good um, character building stuff and good characters focused stuff. Um, and uh, just to kind of get my mind off things and relax, I've been rewatching the British uh, sitcom Coupling for the last couple of weeks. I've been watching about a season a week, and that's just been fun and makes me giggle. And uh, it, it's it's dated now, but it's a lot of fun. It, it's kind of goofy, fun sex comedy. Um, some of the monologues are classic. So if you like a good, 
If you like good, messy, complicated, romantic drama that ends up always being funny in the end and lots of unusual insights, um, it's a lot of fun. It is 90s, so there are some jokes that probably don't go over as well today, but the rest of it's pretty funny. Um, so that's it for me. So, Phil? Yeah, um, so I've actually been watching more uh, Next Generation because I finished um, Enterprise. So I was kind of in the mood, like in the mornings when I was making breakfast and stuff. I watched, like last week, I watched some TNG episodes from season five and season six. Um, uh, I've been watching Voyager, obviously, because we've been doing that. Um, I also, so I just recently switched over. I was like, oh, I should watch something different in the mornings when I make breakfast. So I started rewatching Blacklist. that's I I love that um, series. The first the early, season is fabulous. Yeah, the first couple seasons are amazing, and I'm watching the first season right now, and it's so good. And James Spader is just you know, mm-hmm. like he devours every like he devours every scene he's in. He's just he's so cool. I love I love Raymond Reddington as a character. Um, I'm playing Minecraft. Um, Schmidt and I made some adjustments to the 116 mod pack to fill in some things that. Um, we're missing so we now have um, uh, monster monster factories for um, for you know getting drops and we now have growable uh, ender pearls which um, we did not have because that used to be part of a pack that did not um, of a 112 pack that did not get upgraded so we now have growable ender ender pearls because um, nice. so many things in the game require ender pearls as a um, uh, what you call it as a component so uh, we found some solutions to that um yeah that's going pretty good i'm like mid I've, I've been testing one world so i'm like midway through it i have a pretty decent amount of material and i can now pretty much build um most things uh at will so i'm gonna try building the um i found this really cool monster factory mod which is really server friendly because it doesn't actually spawn the monsters mm. it like just kills them inside the reactor without you know actually popping them out one of the big problems tony's crashed the server doing this i've crashed the server doing this um is to start generating a whole bunch of mobs and and then slaying them because it actually goes through all the cycling of that um these mobs this mod called zoom is really um i think it's called zoom it's something stupid like it has a really it has a dumb name for um for what it does but it um you build this multi-block structure and uh, you have to go out and you have to go out and stab the monster with this thing. Uh, depending on what monster it is, you have to stab it a bunch of times, or you have to kill so many of them to program the chip. And then you put the chip into the machine, and then you just feed it power, and it cranks out drops. Cool. So I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it a whirl. Uh, try building a few things and seeing what um, like power costs and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, that mod pack is, uh, that mod pack's pretty solid. It's definitely different. 116 is a definitely different beast than 112. Um, the nether is terrifyingly worse. Um, <laughs> the nether is terrifyingly worse, but there is now, um, low level rocket packs. Yeah. So unlike where we had flight rings, where you used to go in creative and give yourself a flight ring from day one, you can actually, in early game, build a moderately okay uh, jetpack and very quickly once you once you've done some vein mining you can build a much better jetpack cool so i'm like i'm actually in pretty good shape like i can get around the world um and i can get around the nether on a jetpack which makes a huge difference yeah um so anyway, i've been playing a bunch of that uh, i picked up this app game that i fell in love with called space arena builder um the game is um 
Jerry might like it in the same way that um, you get these ships and they're composed of um, like you get that you buy you, you buy ships and you fight them in an arena. But what you do and this game's got a lot of parts, so I'm not going to dig into it too deeply. But the gist of it is each hull is comprised of a whole bunch of squares and then you have like a whole bunch of components like weapons, armor, uh, reactors, thrusters, things like that. And you have to put them into the grid and have enough power to power everything and put armor where you think it needs armor and arm it with the types of weapons you want to arm it with. And then it, then you hit like you hit fight and it takes your ship into an automated arena where it fights another ship for money and experience points. (laughs) It is like car wars with spaceships. Interesting. Um, and I've been, I've been like, and then as you go up in levels, you learn technologies, you get more money, you can get better hulls like to fill in. So mm-hmm. like in the last week, I like went from like downloading it to like level 13. Um, and, uh, I've been having a blast. Like it gives you challenges, like win so many matches with, um, two shield reactors or with a vector thruster component or whatever. And, um, it's terribly fun. Like the game is really about designing the ship and then you just set it loose to see if it can win. So I've been playing a bunch of it. Um, you could pay a lot of money to get into this game. Like it's got a lot of paid, like paid options yeah. for more points and stuff, but I've just been grinding it like a, like a little bit each day. Um, and I'm doing fine. Like you can keep it going without, I think I spent seven bucks in the beginning to buy like two little starter packs to get a little jump on points. And from there, I've just been grinding, like grinding fights and stuff like that. Uh, played some more magic, magic gathering arena. That's um, I think that's to me more fun than playing the actual card game. Um, okay. I like playing magic. I don't like having to keep track of all the magic stuff. The, the, the program does all of it um, with cool little animations and stuff. And I, I, I shouldn't even trivialize it. The animations are actually really good. Um but it handles all that stuff. I refuse to pay money for it. Um, like, I, I don't want to get into collecting cards or anything. So I'm just using the cards they got in there. But, like, it's fun. It's good. Um, and then, as Bob said earlier, I played some Forbidden Lands. Um, ran some Forbidden Lands, I should say. That was a lot of fun. Um, that was session number 44, um, which is pretty heroic um, in terms of campaign lengths for our uh, – that's 44 sessions every, bi-weekly. Um, and we're coming around on two years on that, um, uh, which we call it two years on that campaign, uh, and going strong. Like this is uh, this little story arc is going to go a few more uh, sessions for sure, and then you guys will go home, reposition, and then uh, we'll figure out the next arc, which will take you know weeks, months of play. Yep. Um, but I'm cool with that. Like it's fine. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it. Trying to keep busy. Cool. It's been too cold. It's been too cold to ride. Yeah, we had one nice day yes, this has. week, this this past week, but uh, right, and then now just cold and shitty. Yeah. Tomorrow it's supposed to snow here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's been stick, snowing in Colorado for yeah. like a couple of days now, so I, I I I can't complain about it. But I got to admit, I'm not I'm not really hot on the idea of snow coming. No, I'm also not going to clean my driveway. Like no. we're in the part of spring where it's like if I get three inches of snow, it's just staying. Yeah. yeah, it'll be gone the next day. We're we're gonna it's gonna be even tomorrow when the snow comes. It's gonna come down in the low thirties and get into the 
to the to high 30s, low 40s, and then the next couple of days it's going to be in the low 40s. It's all going to melt, you know. Yeah, I'm not even I'm not even having it. I just yeah. I'm not going anywhere tomorrow. I'm just going to like it can snow all at once. I'm going to keep the blinds closed. I'm going to work at my desk and just like fuck off winter, like fuck yeah. off second winter. I'm not interested. Yeah, yeah we're doing tomorrow is uh, all right. Uh, uh, administrative assistance day. So we're going to be doing some sort of lunch at work for everybody. And that's going to be up the extent of it. So yeah, it shouldn't be bad. We have right. reached we have reached the allotted time. Bob, get yes. us out of here. Let's do it. I would like to thank, on behalf of everybody else on the show, our patrons, and we're going to do our shout-outs. Specifically, Steve Bissonette, Steve Radabaugh, T. Kustik, Theodore Atkinson, Tom Hay, Victor Wyatt, Noah Bon, Alice Kira, who is now a Slack Room member. Welcome to the Slack Yay! Room, Alice. Okay. Austin Lemke, and Chris Mead. And thank you to everyone for listening tonight. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. The Queen's Time. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, come join us live on Twitch where you are, will, where you come join us and hang out with the other listeners in the chat room for life. Uh, listen to what's going on in the show. Ask us the occasional question and just hang out with cool people. If you can't make it to the live show, check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts. Take a listen to other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as Mastering Dungeons, Bonestone Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Panas Talking Games, The Gnomecast, John Ku Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should ch- also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and The Always Amazing Gaming and BS. Yay. After you have uh, spent your second to last point and are worried about what to do to get your next point, Leave us some feedback. Reach us directly at MMP at misdirectedmark.com. That's old-fashioned email. You can use it. We still yeah. have it. Um, check us out on Twitter. The show in the network is at misdirectedmark. He is Robert M. Everson. He is GM Gerrymander, and I am DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Zhang Hustle is at patreon.com slash Zhang Hustle. And bonus experiences at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Mark production. The media arm of Encoder Designs. Mic drop. We out.